Hey, hi, hello, how are you? And welcome back to Watch It Again, the podcast where we go through 101 movies to see before you die. As always, I'm your host, Jacob, and with me is these two buffoons in... Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Kat and Nick, you guys here? Yes, we're here. <laughs> I'm here. Okay, so I just wasn't happy with you <laughs> calling me a buffoon. <laughs> Yeah, you son of a bitch. The same as last week, we're uh, coming to you from three separate locations due to the ongoing coronavirus shutdown. So, again, we're using a video call and, you know, some wonders of technology to bring you some hopefully entertaining hour or so of movie talk. See how it goes. Yeah, just to take you out of that isolation depression that you potentially could be in. Or if we're really bad, throw you so much further into it after listening to us for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this week's movie is the 1941 film Citizen Kane by Orson Welles, who stars, directs, co-wrote and produced. It also stars Joseph Cotton as Jedediah Leland, Dorothy Cummingore as Susan Alexander Kane, Angus Moorhead as Mary Kane, Ruth Warwick, Emily Kane, Ray Collins, James W. Gettys, and Everett Sloan as Mr. Bernstein. The film was nominated for nine Academy Awards in Best Picture, Best Director, Best Leading Actor, Best Original Screenplay, Editing, Cinematography, Score, Art Direction, and Sound, and won for Screenplay. This movie is... Around about two hours, and I loved it. I'm glad you did. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, there's bits of it in the middle, and it gets a bit dull in some sections, like story Just the middle. But on sheer technical capabilities of this film, it is an absolute amazing, just an amazing piece of cinema. Especially from 1941. Yeah, now there's so much in this I didn't realise I'd seen in other things. Like what? I just shot Inspiration and that scene where he's taken away from his parents is from The Simpsons. Yeah. (laughs) The Simpsons references everything. Yeah, there's a fair few things. But I've always associated that scene with Mr. Burns losing Bobo. (laughs) Oh, no. Um, So, yeah, this this film kind of brought together a couple of different techniques that have been used in several other films beforehand, but each kind of film before had done one sort of thing, and Orson Welles, along with cinematographer... um, Greg Toland just brought all these different groundbreaking ideas of filmmaking and cinematography together and there is some wondrous shots throughout this film and I mean my personal favourite there is a shot that goes through a neon sign pans down towards a window then through a soft dissolve of rain goes through the window in a seemingly one movement and then pans down into the room with um, Kane's second wife. 
and I genuinely thought that was a... It's just amazing that that shot even exists in 1941. Yeah, no, it's... Mm. It's so true. Like, I didn't enjoy this movie as much as you did (laughs) but um but like yeah watching it you wouldn't think that the technology to do something like that as like as simple as it is nowadays to do it what 80 years ago or 79 years ago now it's absolutely insane but before we go into it more nick would you like to tell us what the movie's about? Oh, not really. <laughs> <laughs> so, <clears throat> the movie starts with the main character. What's his first name? Charles? Yeah. Charles Foster Kane. Uh, Charles Kane dying. And that's essentially a recap of his life and people trying to investigate what his final words mean. And then what happens? They don't find out what it means, and they just move on with their lives. But we as the audience find out what it is. I mean, we do, but they don't. Yeah. So throughout the um, film, a journalist is sent back to interview everyone who knew him well to try and figure out what the words Rosebud mean. And through these interviews, we get flashbacks of different points of Orson's... Also, I should say Orson, of Kane's life, played by Orson Welles, um, and different moments that kind of made him the man he is. And it's sort of a foreshadowing of the coming media giants that were about to arise throughout America and the world. That, you know, Charles Foster Kane owned this media empire and... You know, his newspapers kind of made the the readers know or understand what he wanted them to know so he could persuade people into, well, this is what is happening. And there's great scenes where it's like they kind of fake that there's boats off certain coastlines for war and all these different things. And, you know, they're not really there, but he is telling his readers are there, so they're scared. I think, too, it... um especially the first 10 minutes because you get shown essentially like a broadcast of uh charles foster kane's life in the public eye yeah, it's like a and i think reel. it's almost like i'm kind of equating it to social media because you see one aspect of a person's life but then when this journalist digs deeper you realize how twisted everything had kind of become and how different it actually was when you saw it from the individual's like legitimate perspective rather than the public's so I think that aspect I guess was kind of interesting to me because it was like you just yeah you didn't really know what was happening until you actually look at the person as a whole yeah you kind of get like that start is kind of the newsreel commemorating his death and it's what his kind of media wants you to see of his life and it's kind of a highlighted all the highlights of his life compared to once we then start going into the flashbacks you see the real stories behind some of those things and what actually happened not what they're telling you it was like 
Exactly. So it's kind of the public and private face of the same person and the differences that can be perceived through what's, you know, portrayed. Exactly. Mm. Wasn't this the first movie to do non-linear storytelling? I honestly couldn't tell you. I have no idea. I think I heard that. But it's, yeah, I really appreciate stuff like that. That's like super groundbreaking. There you go. Um, Kat, would you like to tell us a couple of reasons why you might not have enjoyed this? Um, <clears throat> I found the end, well, I found the start quite interesting. But, and like the whole <laughs> kind of not affair with who ends up being his second wife. I found that interesting, but after that, I just kind of, I don't know, I, I kind of got a little bit repetitive, and then there was that whole scene where she's just doing the puzzle, and he's just, like, talking to her, so I skipped through a little bit of that, because it and she's just kept going on. <laughs> sitting at the bottom of a fireplace that's big enough to walk into. Yeah. Which I thought was um, really weird. And then... I don't know, I just, I mean, I still got the whole gist of the movie and I still can appreciate it, I guess. I just skipped through those shots that were a little bit long, like the end scene where it is like three minutes just panning over all the shit he's collected yeah. over his entire life. I like skipped through till I got to the end of, and it showed Rosebud. <laughs> it is, that, that is quite a funny thing because at the start of the film, they talk about how his collection, like in the news really, his collection's so big it can never be catalogued and it can never be, you know, um, what's the word? Like, they can't get a value of it. Mm. But then at the end it's all catalogued and they've added up how much it's worth and they're walking through it like you know, they know what it all is. I think it's so interesting too because you've got that beautiful shot of them in, a, it's almost like an atrium or, like, a hallway kind of thing. Yeah. Like, just essentially a massive hall in their own house that is very, very sparsely furnished. And then you go to something like that and it shows just everything that he owns. So it's like, does he really actually care about that sort of thing or is it all just for show? Exactly. And the house that's built, like Xanadu, is just... It's utterly ridiculous ridiculous in its size and scale and it's this massive castle on top of this massive man-made mountain and it's just this sheer show of look how much money I have look what I can live in but in Mm. doing that he deliberately cuts himself off from everyone yeah he kind of removes himself in a way from a lot of society towards the end of his life and it's such it's a, a weird, bit sad. It's such an interesting kind of story arc that this man struggles with society and, you know, he, he never really wanted to be the rich man and then he finally was and then, you know, he ends up running for governor and it doesn't work out and there's all these different things that happen. And it's all about the kind of like a lost childhood and there's parallels that have been drawn to Orson Welles in this as the writer of the story and star because he was only 25 when he made this film and he'd already done oh, yeah, so much. Oh yeah, he was much. so young. <laughs> and people draw parallels to maybe it was Orson Welles expressing even his own personal feelings 
that he missed parts of a childhood through things that happened to him. It wouldn't surprise me. Like, all the great stories are based on something factual. Yeah, so, yeah, he was only 25 when um, he made this movie. And that's just absolutely insane that this man was doing this sort of stuff. And this is, like, was essentially critically acclaimed from the get-go and was lauded as, and still is, the greatest movie of all time. So to create something like that when you're so young is astounding. Yeah, it's it's just crazy. Like, he'd done... Even before this, like, there wasn't much like he'd done before, but then with the Mercury Theatre, he kind of burst onto the scene and through radio plays and radio dramas, you know, he kind of started making a name for himself. Mm. And then the Mercury Theatre made this film. It was the first film they'd ever made. They are all stage actors. They were all voice actors. And then all of a sudden, here they are on the big screen for the first time. Yeah, that was a nice touch at the end. When it's like, oh, these people are all new to the big screen. Hear yeah. their names. It's our pleasure to introduce them. Yeah, introduce them to you all. Yeah, and it's just kind of this crazy thing that, you know, he... This movie that was kind of made by radio actors and um, stage actors all of a sudden has become what's regarded as the greatest movie ever made. And it's someone's first film people starring in their first film is just an absolute we it's just this weird kind of set of circumstances that has come together to make this like you wouldn't think that you know someone's first feature film with people acting on camera for the first time is the best movie or the greatest movie ever made mm. I'm just looking at some of his other movies that he made and I have not heard of any of them, which I think is really interesting that this movie, the first one, is essentially what everyone knows him for. Yeah, I mean, and this is three years after his radio drama or radio adaptation of War of the Worlds. So he's, he's kind of starting to get a name for himself and starting to, you know, be well-known across America. Mm. And then, yeah, kind of this movie, which at kind of at the time was not a commercial success. Like, it wasn't a huge box office hit. No, it only made, like, 600000 over budget. Yeah, and it kind of just over the years has become known as yeah this this fantastic film and honestly like the achievements throughout this film are just absolutely insane like it's just this beautiful yeah just this beautiful beautiful film mm. one of you just had a car drive fast <laughs> Yeah, that's my place. Our house is <laughs> right near a road. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I guess this movie kind of also predicts a few things. So like, it predicts the twenty-four hour news cycle, and it influenced so many different 
kind of modern film techniques. Like it really kind of was ahead of its time for what it was doing and the message it was saying. That this, you know, media giant become tries to become a leader but is still such an influential person. They control what people read. And it's, you know, kind of predicts even the modern day. Like, you can see reflections from... Into Trump and Rupert Murdoch. Into, you know, from... And how Facebook's shaped the whole world and how we think. Yeah. And that how, you know, the newspaper empire, especially at this time, you know, shaped the public opinion. You can control what people want to think. You can control what people know through what information you give them in regards to events. Yeah, I was kind of watching this and thinking, ah, oh, that's cute. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, and there's um a couple little things here, like as his first marriage begins to deteriorate, there's a scene of them eating at the table and his wife's reading the um, New York Chronicle, which is his rival newspaper. Oh, that was a scene that I really liked where they yeah, so were sitting was... there and they kept, like, she kept changing um, outfits and, like, obviously to signify that it was a different day. But I just thought that was a really effective montage. Yeah, and you I can guess. kind of see the deterioration of their marriage. And then, yeah, she's reading the Chronicle, so it's like a big, you know, stuff you to Kane because, like, well, you know, I'm not interested in you, I'm not interested in what you have to say. I'm so not interested that I'm reading your rival. But there's one scene in this whole film and I honestly have no idea what the hell was going on or why it happened. And, like, it just kind of took me off guard. And it's when his um, second wife is leaving and that bird just appears out of nowhere and screeches... Yeah, that scared me. I was yeah. like, oh. It felt like a genuine jump scare. I was like, what the hell was that? <clears throat> it sounded like a human screaming. Yeah, it was so weird. And it's like, Galar just takes up the whole screen, kind of half-faded like in, so you can still see both images, and it just screeches. And it was just such a weird, disconnecting moment. I was like, what the hell? Just, what, why is that there? Well, I mean, he does own, like, a whole menagerie of animals, yeah, so one just, is bound to show up. <laughs> it's just a weird sort of moment. And, and, yeah, it's just, I don't know, and there's a funny scene in the newsreel where he meets Hitler, and he's hanging out with Hitler before mm-hmm. the war, and the cunning kind of, oh, he met some great men, and some not so great. And it's like, this is 19... 19- 41 so like the it's still the middle of world war 2 like it's only been going for two years mm. and like to have that kind of joke there was quite funny they knew he wouldn't I redeem himself yeah it was just yeah I thought that was I was like huh they can't you know it was just a great little you know there's this all these little moments throughout this film where they kind of making jokes about the time and what current events that, you know, we would kind of take for granted making a joke in a movie like that now. But to do that in the middle of the war, I just think was yes, you know, bold. quite a bold statement in a movie. 
Mm -mm. Yeah. You're not wrong. <laughs> and it's got things like in that same montage, you know, he's got they're coming out. He's got all the fish of the sea, and it's this paper mache octopus on wires coming towards the camera, and I was just like, "That's that's not a fish." Oh yeah, that was really <laughs> odd. Just just have a just have a shot of a fish in a in an aquarium. Like that's all you need. <laughs> Not this weird paper mache octopus kind of weirdly floating on a wire towards the camera. <laughs> hey, it was the time. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's still like you have to make that. You have to rig it up. Just film a fish in a tank. <laughs> It'd be so much easier and cheaper. Oh, the weirdest scene I thought was when he had that party to I guess celebrate himself and they sung a song about him and oh. then everyone was dancing and then he was dead oh, it was weird I, yeah, don't know. Yeah, like, I didn't really like that all the female dancers come in and every single man in the room just starts getting yeah, up and so cheering weird. and jeering like yeah <laughs> yeah that was a bit weird but I mean it's also very much of the time and people would have seen in the um, trailer that I put on our Facebook page yesterday, um, all the weird, like, like the girls that's there, and Austin Wells is kind of like narrating, and he's like, you know, here's the dancers just because, you know, just because he can see them. Just mm -hmm. like, look, these women are in the film. Have a look at this. Come and see the film because you'll see these women singing and dancing. Yeah. Like it's, it's like, yep, yeah, it's definitely 1941. <laughs> You know, like I'm kind of surprised there wasn't, uh, like, more war propaganda. Yeah, there was, like, none. Yeah. Like, that Hitler thing is probably the only real mention of the war mm. at all. And it's, like, a passing five-second, if that, moment. You know? I think, I think yeah. it's obviously very deliberate. Like, he, he was avoiding that, and it was more... Oh, it would have to be. Yeah, because, you know, it's 1941, the heart of the war... You don't really want to be talking about it as much. You want to, you want to give people something to watch that's not about the war. It's a distraction area. You know, you want to give them entertainment separate from current events. Mm. Oh, another couple of, like technique for this film is there's a lot of low shots looking up across a room, and they were. Actually, like, in the sets they had, they were cutting holes in the floor to put the camera in so the lens was at floor height. That's cool. Looking up. Because, so they, they you know, cameras in 941 were so large. They were cutting huge holes in the floor for the camera and cinematographers to sit in so they could film all these different shots. Where, where do they actually film? Do they film in a house or just on sound stages? Or um, That's a very good question. Let's find out. Um, because surely they would have to scout some locations for that mansion. Um, there you go. Citizen Kane, Kane filming locations. Um, it was filmed in Los Angeles and California. Um, the film is very much studio-based, mostly made on now Stage 19 at Paramount Pictures. The same, um, scenes are also filmed on Stage 32. Yup. Bloody, bloody, blah. 
For real interest, so no. Yeah, okay. So it was all studio based. Mm. Pretty good building of sets, anyway. Yeah, and it was based on mm. the castle's based on William Rudolph Hurst, who was a newspaper newspaper tycoon at the Times, real life. Castle, Hurst Castle. Yeah, there you go. Interesting. Yeah, so yeah, it's all studio filmed. But I mean, like, oh, I've got the same thing over here twice. That's weird. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it was originally called the American before being changed to Citizen Kane. Um. Co-screenwriter Herman J. Mankiewicz um, dictated a majority of the Citizen Kane script while bedridden after being cared for by a nurse after shattering his leg in a car crash. Um, newspaper publishers mentioned William Ru- uh, Randolph Hearst is the primary inspiration for Citizen Kane's protagonist, Charles Foster Kane. Um, They created Kane's dialogue using almost verbatim lines from Hearst's own writing and speeches. Oh, jeez. Hearst was so angered by the film, and in order to keep it from being released, he accused Orson Welles of being a communist, an accusation at the time had the potential to destroy Hollywood reputations and garner government investigations. Wow. Yeah, the design of yeah. Kane's estate. Xanadu was inspired by Hearst Castle, Hearst's extravagant mansion in San Simeon, California... Um, in 2015, 74 years after its release, Citizen Kane screened at Hearst Castle for the very first time. Tickets to this benefit screening, which consisted 60 attendees, cost $1,000 each. Oh my god. Is that US dollars? Yes. Because that's a lot. Yeah. Um, while filming the scene in which his character thrash- trashes a room, Wells was so immersed in his character, he cut both his hands, causing them to bleed. Coming on his dramatic commitment afterwards, he said, I really felt it. <laughs> that is a great scene, too. Like, he just kind of loses the plot for a second, and he absolutely trashes that room. Like, he's smashing glasses with his bare hands, just, you know, sliding them across bookshelves, and he's just really going for gold in just this one-take pan around a room of him just absolutely ruining it. Yeah, you wouldn't want to have to reset that. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, I don't think that. I think it definitely would have been a one take, sort of. <laughs> just go for it. We'll film whatever you do. Um, I can just imagine like a like scrawny little kid on the camera, like eh, I left the lens cap on. <laughs> um, while filming a dramatic sequence in which Kane chases his rival down a flight of stairs, Wells tripped and fell about ten feet, suffering a chipped ankle. The injury forced oh, him to direct from a wheelchair for two weeks. Is that a chipped ankle? Ow. That would hurt. The opening scene in oh. which the dying cane was his pivotal line of Rosebud was shot in one take. It was the final scene shot during the production. Rosebud ranks at number 17 
on the American Film Institute's top 100 film quotes of all time. Just Rosebud. Yeah, there you go. Cool. So there's a couple of facts for everyone. Um, oh yeah, I don't... I mean, I really enjoyed this film, and I feel like we've been really short yeah, exactly. talking about old films. As, you know, we don't really... It's the first time we've, most of us have watched some of these, and this was definitely the first time I'd watched this, and, you know, it's something I've always wanted to watch, but I've never sat down to. I think I just, like, as silly as it is, I feel like I can appreciate old movies, but I find it really hard to get into them. Yeah, I can Because it agree. is from a different time. Yeah. Like, and so it has to be really, really engaging, or else I'm just... I don't really... I just... I don't know. I just can't get into it. You know, I agree. Like, it's, it's really such a... Like... Some of the movies we watched recently, like the old ones, I've really enjoyed. But it is hard to kind of get into it at first. Some of them start off really slow. And I think that's especially true of dramas because it was a, essentially a different genre back then. Yeah, definitely. Like the stuff that kind I mean, of paved the way for like, it. This movie goes for a minute short of two hours. And I think yeah, some of the middle, some of the middle act is definitely dragged out a bit more than it needs to be. Mm. And yeah, it, 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 I can see why it's called the greatest movie of all time. But I think it's called the greatest movie of all time because of the cinematography that it has, because of the editing, because of all the effects that it kind of it was all groundbreaking, and maybe not so much for the actual story itself. Yeah. Because the story itself isn't anything that special. No. But the way it's told and the way that it's filmed are. Like, it's really something... It really is a feat of technology in 1941 for some of the achievements that this film did in regards to cinematography and editing. Mm. Like... Just the way they used, you know, there's dolly zooms, there's panning shots and crane shots that all dissolve through each other into one to look like one continuous motion of camera. And they really gave the audience an, like a perspective inside mm-hmm. the film. Because a lot of the old films, even like 12 Angry Men from 1957, it, they're really stagnant shots. And feel really jarringly cut together. Whereas this, there's some beautiful camera movement where you're kind of moving through the scene past certain characters, and you feel much more involved, like in um, much more involved. And mm. the use of um, focus, everything in the shot through the whole film is in focus. Foreground, background, yeah, background. No, no, everything nothing, is in focus um, all the time. To, yeah, phone home about. So you can really take in the whole image rather than just the actor in the foreground or just the action. You can really focus on also what's happening in the background. Everything else. Yeah, it it really is. I can see 
Like, all of these different little things put together make it the greatest movie ever made because of how it was made and at the time. But the story itself... Cat, you want to go first? What makes it overly special. Yeah. And, yeah, I, I don't know. It's just... I did really enjoy it, but the story itself was kind of lost in there yeah I don't know do you guys um, want to say three things you liked or disliked about it or do you have anything else more to add before <laughs> sure Nick um oh gosh I liked the whole kind of newspaper setup at the start where he was building up the Inquirer from essentially nothing. And then he went and poached the competition's journalists. And that I thought that was kind of a slightly humorous. <laughs> um, I liked the story of how he met his second wife Um even though it was a little bit strange that she just like invited him up to her room in the boarding house and I don't know, but um, I liked how that all kind of came to a head and how he didn't compromise his morals just to, I don't know, please someone else, I guess, um, and didn't throw her under the bus. Um... And I just, it just went for too long, though. That was my main negative thing about it. Yeah, I it just, definitely could have been 20 minutes less or so. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but but that being said, like Jacob said, it's a real testament to the technology at the time. Nick? <laughs> yeah, no. Um... Yeah, in terms of things I liked, I just love the legacy it's made for film and just kind of what it's done for everything that's come since. Um, I'm not going to do three and three, but it's, um, yeah, look, I just, I wasn't a fan of the story, but, you know, that's just kind of going to happen with a lot of old stuff, especially since this came out in, what, 45? 41. 41. 41. Yeah, there you go. But, like, the fact that, like, this is probably... I think this is the oldest one we've watched so far, and it still holds up to some degree is... You know, gives it a lot of merit. Oh, visually, it still holds up now. Like, it... Oh, still looks fantastic. And it looks fantastic for a black and white, black and white film. Like, it looks better than... You know, it's aged better than 12 Angry Men has. Oh, 100%. Easily. You know? Yeah. I, th- I think it's aged... I think it's, you know, it's aged better than Psycho. Like... I will disagree with you there. I do really <laughs> enjoy Psycho. See, I think I like... I think I even liked 12 Angry Men more than this. Really? So I think I definitely enjoyed this more than... Yeah, I don't know um, why. 12 Angry Men... Yeah, okay, for me, my main sort of 
look what I liked was the biggest thing I felt was the makeup in this film. The age, like the aging of people, because everyone's in the kind of all the actors are really in their early twenties, or most of, or you know, twenty to thirty. But there's scenes of them at that age, all up until old age. And some of the makeup on the aging makeup on people is just insane. Like the makeup on Orson Welles to age him throughout this whole film until he's an old man is just amazing. Nuts. Like it's unbelievably amazing that how he looks as an old man for aging makeup in 1941. Like there's stuff made recently that looks way worse than this in terms of aging someone with, you know, prosthetics and makeup. So that was a big thing for me that I enjoyed. The second thing, there's one particular transition in which there's a photo of all the journalists from the Chronicle that he poaches, like Kat said, to come work for him, and that photo transitions into a moving shot. I did really like that as well. (laughs) And that is insane that, you know, you've got a still image going into a moving shot. And I mean, the level of black in the background does change. Like, you can see when it goes from photo to moving shot. But to have those men standing there in that position to take a photo, move the camera, like, swap the cameras into the same spot and then make that transition is insane. It's for that framing. Like, they're in the exact same position. Like, they have not moved. Like, that would have been a quick change and you can see once the camera starts moving the photo like the the photo camera is just there like it's moved just the side like you pan past it but where it's sitting it's impossible to have taken that photo for the angle but they still leave it in shot for the camera to show you that it's there and it's like oh yeah they've just taken the photo but obviously it's a different angle and then um dislike for me is probably some of the dialogue was a bit how you going in some parts like there was some conversations yeah that, I couldn't tell if the audio was super out of sync yeah. or it was my connection no there was there's yeah. definitely moments where the audio it, it was kind of similar to when we watched the Dollars trilogy like some of the audio is obviously recorded afterwards to yeah. be added in and obviously some actors, you know, there's a scene when Kane's coming down the stairs and he's screaming, but his mouth's not moving. Mm. So it was kind of a disconnect, you know, such a good film, but then there was a couple like that. I feel like the audio was, and like the dialogue was probably like its biggest letdown. But in saying that, it is 1941, so there's, you know, obvious limits to what they're capable of doing. Yeah, I feel like I'm way more forgiving yeah. on that now after seeing Dollars. Yeah, after watching the Dollars trilogy, I feel like I'm definitely more forgiving on that. But, yeah. it was cause, but because some of it was so good, like some of the audio is so good, and then there's moments where it's not. And yeah. Like, that's what annoyed me, because I'm like, you had the capability mm. to do that scene that was really good, and then two scenes later let yourselves down by doing something really bad. Mm. I think that's why I didn't like it, because I'm like, I, they, they proved that they could do it well but just not consistently throughout a film. And that was, yeah, kind of just annoying. But yeah, you know, so that's, you know, for the three for me. 
But I in saying that, I would definitely watch this again at some point. I probably wouldn't. Unless someone wanted to watch it and, like, they were really, really insistent, I probably wouldn't watch it again. Nick? Mm. Um, no, probably not. I think, I think at some point, not soon, but at some point I will come back to this and just watch it and watch it not to analyse it for this. Because I feel like... Well, I tell other people who are fans of film to watch yeah. it, but... Yeah, if they were a really big fan of... I don't know. Really quite elegant yeah, movies. Yeah, like I wouldn't make my mum watch it. Then, yeah. Maybe. Yeah, you know, I, I sort of feel like... When, when I watch movies for the podcast, I'm watching it through like a way of analysing every little detail and looking at different aspects of how it's made and listening for things and looking for things mm. but I think this is one that I will go back you know in a few years whatever we'll go back to and watch just to try and enjoy it yeah rather than with a notepad trying to write things down when things happen mm. but yeah I mean I did really enjoy this and I can, you know, and as someone that studies making films, I really enjoyed, you know, seeing where some of these techniques and things have come from and how they were done 80 years ago. Really, it was something that I did really enjoy. I think I'd also, yeah, I think I'd enjoy this a lot more if I didn't suffer from shit internet and I could, like, appreciate the visuals a lot more. Because, yeah, I think a big part of this for me was, like, I was just watching this on my laptop and, like, I could barely see a lot of it because it, it just wasn't yep. buffering. So I guess in saying that, we can move on to what we've been watching and what we're excited for. Sure. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, this, this week's been very interesting obviously with news that more productions have been delayed and you know certain things we don't know when they're going to come out and all date changes for other movies but um yeah the whole MCU has been pushed back has been moving around but I did what was it when I watched a trailer for the other day I watched a trailer for something the other day I was like I'm going to talk about it on the podcast and I've had a complete mental blank (laughs) Oh, I do want to point out the new mutants was supposed to come out yesterday. Oh, I know. Oh. <laughs> it's been delayed with no just, release date. Disney just has to put it on Disney Plus. Just cut you like you didn't even pay to make it. Just cut your losses and just release the film. See, at this point, it feels like cheating if they just put it up on Disney Plus. Like they've just. I I, I want them to release it in theaters. No, nah. I mean. I feel like it's the one. It was supposed to come out know, two years ago. This is the one that you've just got to... The first trailer came out three years ago. Yeah, you just got to put it up, like... Cut your losses and just... <sighs> Look, you win some, you lose some. Yeah, it's, you know... At oh, this well. point, we're losing it. I, d- I couldn't imagine the cast doing press junkers and the people being like, oh, what do you think of doing this scene? And they'd be like, 
I don't even remember yeah. doing that. That was Exa- years exactly. ago. Like, just, just put it out. You know? Mm. Oh, well. Um, Nick, what have you been watching? <sighs> I've not been watching much. Uh, I'm pretty sure Netflix took down Always Sunny, <gasps> so I've kind of lost what I was watching. Um, I've been reading Civil War. Yep. Because Comixology made a bunch of Marvel stuff free. So I've been reading that. That's really, really, really good. And it's a shame, like, a lot of these characters never got to be in the movie. Yeah. There's so much... Like, the movie's like, so just different. the way the X-Men are incorporated and... Yeah, others. Like... Dead the movie is only the same, really, by name. Oh, like, 100%. Different story in the comics, and it's such a more important story in the comics than what. Yeah, and just the way the whole incident is kicked up, like the whole superhero oh, yeah. registration, the fact that it's like what the what what are their names? The um, is it New yep. Avengers or New Warriors? New Warriors, I think. Like that's so much more interesting yeah. than what happened in the movie. Yeah, and you get, you know... I'm really glad I didn't read it before I saw the movie, because I'd probably hate it. You get, like, the Peter Parker press... Have you up to the Peter Parker bit yet? Yeah. Yes. I think that, 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 that's such a powerful... Yes. ...moment for him to get up and do that in that story. Yeah, and we just will never really get that. Yeah. It just sucks. It was kind of teased. Like, they tease it at the end. <laughs> Like they show like it's the, like in the movie like the Iron Spider suit and then there's that pe- press conference. Yeah. So it sort yeah, of teases like, nah, psych. <laughs> like. I'm glad yeah, they no. didn't do that though because they wouldn't have earned it. Yeah. It, yeah. I, um. I finally watched. It, if they brought Tobey Maguire back, oh, it would have yeah. been great. But. I um, watched Jumanji: The Next Level last night. Was it I good? love that movie. I really like. I liked the first, like the first of the new Jumanji, and like this was really good too. Like I thought it was great. Like it was just a fun, you know, it's just a fun movie. It's just funny. <laughs> Action's good. Like it's just good. Like I genuinely hope they make a third one. I'm sure they will. They yeah, because it, it was like it's really great. It's popular. a good film. Like it's just. Yeah, hundred percent. And they make yeah, so much money. Yeah, they're just fun little like you know, they're fun little action comedies, and they're not. Have you seen the yeah. original? Um, did you notice that the lady that owns the diner at the end is the lady that adopts the kids in the first one? I did not. <laughs> I did not click yeah. in my brain Same at lady. all. I, I didn't notice that at the time. But... It, it is all, like it is a sequel. Like they are sequels to the first. Like it's not a reboot. It is just a. Oh yeah, yeah it's just, it changed from a board game into a video game because times changed, and that's what kids do now. So, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it was something before a board game. Creepy, weird, demonic thing. Yeah, didn't they say that? <laughs> a stick a stick and hoop. Oh god. <laughs> Welcome to Jumanji Stick and Hoop. Oh, what's happening? <laughs> um, yeah, um, I've been watching a lot of documentaries lately. Yeah. So I watched um, Tiger King, which How is, is 
it's just so fucked up. It's That's like utterly indescribable. Um, but you should definitely watch it because it's just like it's like someone has just gone to a library and picked out random books and gone, I'll have the weirdest thing out of every one of these books and shove them all into real life. Like, <laughs> I haven't been meaning to watch it, but I just haven't had time. Watch I've it. Been working so much. It's so good. It's so bad, though. Yeah, um, and then I watched How to Fix a Drug Scandal, which is kind of really scary um, <laughs> and a bit shocking, even though it is in America, but it makes you kind of think, like, what about Australia? What yeah. about our drug lab technicians? Um, yeah, and then I watched... <laughs> Um, a Scientology documentary because I was like, I want to know more about this. Um, not to get into, just to like have a giggle at, and that's just really scary yeah, as well. Yeah, tell us, turn us into fellow Scientologists with you, cat. Podcast. <laughs> It'll fix everything in your life, yes. and you'll be fine. You yes. won't be physically or violently abused. Oh my god, that's like, so much. It's. Like, some of the stuff that those people went through are, like, oh, it's, it's absolutely horrendous. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I've just been watching Ozark, <laughs> trying to catch up so I can watch the third season. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. But yeah, definitely watch Tiger King. It's so strange. Yeah, I am definitely. It's something I am well, looking I forward to watching. Well, I can't watch Sunny now, so I guess I'll have to. Sorry, you both spoke at the same yeah, time I realise that. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, you go first. <laughs> well, I was—I was just saying I can't watch Always Sunny now, so I've got to find something. Mm, I'll definitely, maybe even tonight, start Tiger King. Yeah, once you start, you won't we'll be able to stop. I watched all of it in like two days. Good. I've got nothing else to do except for go to work for a thousand hours a day. Uh, <laughs> well, I guess we can end it there then. I guess. I guess so, so. Nick, where can people find us? Yes, it's not me this week. <laughs> uh, oh my god, I've never done <laughs> That's this. That's why I did it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can find us at Watch It Again Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. Our email address is watchitagainpod at gmail.com. Yes. <laughs> and. Well, not on anything else. Uh, leave a five-star review or just a wordy Someone review. Just that a review. A lot, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, just a review. Like, a written one. Yeah, just leave a review. Send us an email. So who your favourite host is? Yeah, get in yeah. contact and we'll, what was that we'll uh, reply to anything and everything. We'll give you a shout-out on the podcast, like I did the other week with Robert. And, um, yeah, we'll guess we'll see everyone next week. Thanks for listening. As always, I'm Jacob. I'm Kat. And I'm Nick. Bye. Bye. Ciao.